became your pastor, I was handed a wad of keys. I barely knew where the rooms were, and I had no idea which key opened which room. And so Beth helpfully ordered five colored key covers. And uh, the key to my office is orange. So I'm cautious to remember I can spend too much time at the office and not enough with my family. Uh, the key to the main office is red, red like a stop sign. So I would stop and check that the office was locked if I was the last person to leave. Um, purple. Purple is the traditional color of royalty. And so I put it for the sanctuary because this is where we come to worship the king. Pink. Pink is for the conference room because I figured if I was ever given a pink slip, I'd probably be in the conference room. I'm an optimist, aren't I? Uh, that, indeed, the day I was hired. Uh, <clears throat> yellow. I never assigned a mnemonic device. Four years later, I still have no idea what the yellow key opens. The point is, keys are important. Different keys open different doors. And today we're in Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8. And we're going to be exploring the Old Testament's teaching on preaching. Now from these 18 verses, we shall discover biblical keys to good preaching, to good listening, and to good retention to the sermons to which we are listening. Turn with me in the Word of God to Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, please feel free to use one of ours. If you grab the Blue Pew Bible in front of you, I believe page 510, 510 will help you find Nehemiah chapter 8. As you turn in the Word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord of that Word and ask Him to bless our time together today. Father, we invite You as Lord of this church to please use Your Word to build Your people. Help us, Lord, from the Old Testament to get a greater understanding, a better teaching on preaching. Make us better aware of what biblical preaching looks like. Help us to be better listeners that we might ingest Your teaching and get the most from it. And then, Lord, help us to be able to retain, to learn to remember that which You have put forth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Word of God says in Nehemiah 8, beginning at verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, now we haven't heard from him in a while, but here he is back in a story. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who heard and understand what they heard, all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month, then he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. It's a long service. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, that'd be the children, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood... Mattathiah, and Shema, and Aniah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, and Mishael, and Melchizedek, and Hashem, and Hashbanana, and Zechariah, and Meshalem, and every other hard to pronounce Hebrew name they put in the text this morning. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it as all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God. And the people answered, Amen. 
and amen. And lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Yeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akub and Shabbatai and Hodia and Messiah and Kelita and Azariah and Jezebed and Hanan and Peliah and the Levites, they helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Roughly eight months ago, we concluded our perusal of First and Second Timothy. And we ended with a sermon on sermons. We looked at the difference between conventional wisdom and biblical wisdom as it pertains to preaching. And today, we are in the most helpful Old Testament passage on preaching. Bringing us to Roman numeral 1 on your outlines. For those of you that are a little bit north of 40, you'll break out the reading glasses at that font. Sadly, I have to break out the reading glasses. My sermons are getting bigger and bigger in their font. Uh, but I'm not wearing the reading glasses yet. Eventually, they'll just be one word per page, but we'll see. <laughs> the biblical keys to good preaching. Your first point this morning, biblical keys to good preaching. A, good preachers preach straight from the Word. Good preachers preach straight from the Word. Where do good preachers preach from? Straight from the Word. Ezra, the biblical preacher, preached straight from the Bible. Look at verse 5. Ezra opened the book. And in the sight of all the people, now look at verse 8, and they read from the book, from the law of God. Friend, you cannot be a biblical preacher unless you preach from the Bible. Many today preach about the Bible. That is, they pick some vaguely biblical theme and they sprinkle in a verse or two uh, every once in a while to sort of supplement their thoughts that they wanted to say that day. And that puts the preacher's thoughts in the driver's seat, but it puts the Scriptures in the back seat, passively as a passenger to whatever the preacher intends to say. Friends, this is dangerous business when we do this. No preacher knows more than Scripture. Amen? Because only Scripture has God as its author. God never promises anywhere from Genesis to Revelation to inspire the preacher. But He has promised that He's already inspired His Word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, not all sermons, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Biblically, good preachers preach straight from the Bible. Nehemiah did it, and... Paul commands it. God's Word is unambiguously clear on what God's man ought to do with God's Word when God's people are assembled. 1 Timothy 4.13 says that we are to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. In fact, our Lord Jesus in John 17.17, 17, in John 17.17, 17, Jesus says the Father will sanctify us by the truth, and then He clarifies what is the truth it's not the sermon. Your Word is truth. Are you hearing the Word of God as you gather as the people of God? 
It is very important that you do. Friends, I've said it before, but I don't think I can say it enough. If you can sit in a service and all the Bible you ever hear is a verse or two for a moment or two, you're probably in the wrong church that Sunday. And just as it's true that God's man preaches straight from God's Word, so too it is true, B, that good preachers are to preach clearly. Good preachers are to preach clearly. Look at verse 8 again. They read from the book, from the law of God, and here's the word, clearly. How did they do it? They read the word clearly. And they gave the sense so the people understood what they were reading. Now clearly is the Hebrew word parash. It means to be free from confusion. It means to to remove ambiguity. It means to make something clear. Now some people mistakenly think that a preacher is intelligent if his preaching is pedantic and enigmatic. Uh, They think like that old English peasant who said, oh, he must be smart. I couldn't understand a word he said. (laughs) And it's true that some truths are complicated, but good preachers know how to put the cookies on the shelf so we the children can get access to them. Which brings us to point C. Good preachers preach so that we understand The sense of the passage. Not the theme of their series, but the sense of the passage. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the meaning. Now, the Scriptures were in Hebrew, let's remember. And most of the people, this is after the Babylonian captivity, and they are now speaking Aramaic. So some of the fact that they gave the sense is that they simply translated from Hebrew into Aramaic. But it's deeper than that. It also involved breaking down the text so the folks could grasp its meaning. Verse 8 says they gave the sense so the people understood what they were reading. And sense is the Hebrew word sechel, And it it means to put forth the idea that is intended. Saying what the Bible's actually saying. Preaching it under the whole counsel of God. Teaching it in context. A good preacher will put you in a passage. They will open up the relevant historical, cultural, and linguistic details in that passage that you and I might otherwise miss as 21st century readers. That is the preacher's job. To give you the sense of the passage. It's not the preacher's job that you always leave feeling better. Sometimes the Word of God convicts. It's not the preacher's job that you always leave feeling entertained because the Word of God is not a circus. But you should always leave the house of God from the man of God who opened the Word of God having better understood what God was saying in that passage of Scripture. That's the preacher's job. Now, why ought a preacher preach? Should he preach to gain an audience so he can sign a book deal? (laughs) Uh, So he can build a brand uh, and and be someone famous in his day? God may choose to do that with someone, but that's not what should motivate a preacher. Which is point D. Good preachers preach with this goal. Good preachers preach with the goal of blessing God. It's why you ought to preach. It's why you ought to do anything, but it's especially true on why you ought to preach. Good preachers preach with the goal of blessing God. God. Verse 6 says, and Ezra blessed the Lord. Uh, The whole point of what he was doing was to bless the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is clear. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's no less true in preaching, is it? 
Good preachers preach, friends, primarily for God. Good preachers don't primarily preach uh, to hear the accolades or to avoid the hand grenades that come from the audience. They should be preaching to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, from the lips of the Lord Jesus. The audience matters, but you're not primary. Jesus must be primary in our preaching. And so the question we ought to ask when we hear a sermon preached is, did that, did that sermon bless the Lord? Did that sermon magnify His glory to those who heard it? Or was it just a sugar stick sermon sent to spot, uh, mollify spiritual toddlers who demanded such preaching? There's a, a difference between what we want and what He deserves. Which church will we be when it comes to our preaching? If good preachers preach for the glory of God and not their own glory, if, then they wouldn't mind sharing this platform and raising up other preachers, would they? If the preacher doesn't care about himself but cares about the Lord's fame, he would want to raise up more preachers, amen? That's our next point, E from our text. Good preachers seek to raise up a plurality of preachers. Good preachers seek to raise up a plurality of preachers. Look at verse 4. And Ezra the scribe, he stood on a wooden platform they had made for this purpose. We don't have time to get into all that, but they expended money to build this platform. It took time. People built it. Uh, they did it so that the preaching could be heard by everyone all at once at the water gate. It was time-consuming. It was expensive, but they did it because the Word of God demanded it. The Ezra stood on the wooden platform they had made for this purpose. It was for no other purpose. And beside him were all those hard-to-pronounce Hebrew names you can work on at home. And there's a whole bunch of them. There were 13 other preachers on this platform. Now, Scripture doesn't precisely explain how they shared that service. But given the fact that the Bible says they preached from dawn until midday, that's a six-hour sermon. They had no microphone. There were at least 50,000 people there. That wooden platform would help with acoustics. It would raise their voices up and over. But probably most scholars believe that the presence of the 13 other preachers were implying that each of them took a turn at the wheel and they helped preach even as Ezra was the primary teaching elder that day, if you will. It would seem that the ancient synagogue patterned itself after this passage in Nehemiah. If you go to the, the synagogues, they, they typically have seven or more readers on a Sunday very probably taking this pattern from Nehemiah where there were multiple preachers on a single service. But Ezra was the main teacher. He's the only one that's specifically listed by name out front. He is the one the Bible told us in Ezra 7.10 had devoted himself to study, to obey, and to teach God's laws to Israel. Way back in Ezra 7.10, he was a man set apart for this task. And yet Ezra, who knew he was set apart for this task, he wisely raised up 13 other brothers and then he shared the stage so that many preachers would be raised up in his generation. Friends, this was Jesus' strategy for his ministry as well. In Mark 6-7, the Bible says this, Jesus called the twelve and he sent them out two by two. And verse 12, so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. Now friends, Jesus was the greatest preacher who ever lived. And yet He sought to raise up other preachers. Maybe they didn't do it as well. 
Maybe they fumbled. Maybe they stumbled. But the greatest preacher who ever lived said, I need to make more preachers or else it all ends when I go. And that's why we at Calvary, we try to put other men in the pulpit. About once a month we try to do it. That's what the elders and I covenanted when I came. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons for that is we don't want to become dependent on a single person, or worse yet, a personality. We want to raise up other brothers to help the body see that the Gospel is the power of God and the salvation and not the preacher. Amen? nothing wrong with having a strong teaching elder, but we must always lean on Jesus and not on an individual. Amen? Now you might be saying, well, you know, this is all well and good, but I'm not a preacher. How is this passage relevant to me today? Well, I'm glad you asked. And that brings us to Roman numeral 2 on our outlines today. Roman numeral 2, biblical keys to good listening. All of us may not be preachers, but all of us are going to listen. All of us are going to hear the Word of God preached. So how do we do that better according to Scripture? And the first key to good listening we see in Nehemiah 8 is letter A in your outlines. Good listeners are eager to hear the Word of God. Good listeners are eager to hear the Word of God. Look at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man. There were no stragglers. Into the square before the water gate. They put away everything else that could be done, their commerce, their hobbies, everything. They gathered as one man before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded to Israel. Who gathered? All of them gathered. All the people gathered. They gathered as one man for one purpose to hear the Word of God. What did they want? They wanted the Word of God. And so they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law, the Word of God, as they had it. What's true in the Old Testament is also true in the New. You might want to write Acts 17.11 in your Bibles next to Nehemiah 8. Acts 17.11. In Acts 17.11, the Bible tells us that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Now, we have two books given to the Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We have no books given to the Bereans. And yet God, His evaluation is, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. What made the Bereans of more noble character in the eyes of God? Acts 17.11 says, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians for two reasons. For they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul was preaching was true. Two things that made the Bereans different from everyone else. Made them stand apart in God's eyes. They were eager to receive the Scripture, and they diligently compared what was preached with the Word of God. So I'm going to ask you a question today. Are you eager to hear the Word of God? In the 20 years I've been preaching, in more than one continent, in many different contexts, big churches, little churches, in rescue missions, uh, in, in nursing homes. I've met some saints who are eager beavers when it comes to hearing the Word of God. And I've always found that an eager beaver is always a teachable receiver. In 20 years, it doesn't matter if they're old or young, new Christians or long-standing Christians, if you show me someone eager to rehear the Word of God, I'll show you someone who almost always gets something out of hearing the Word of God that Sunday. But I have also met folks who sit in churches with their arms crossed playing the bless me if you can game. 
I'm going to sit here. I bet you can't bless me today from the Word of God. You wonder who gets more out of a service, eh? I usually know before they tell me at the end. Friends, good listeners are eager to hear Scripture. Ask the Lord to make you hunger for His Word as the deer pants for the water that your soul might so long after Him. And I bet you'll hear more, more often. Good listeners are eager to hear the Word of God. Equally be, good listeners are eager to seek out capable preachers. uh, Good listeners eagerly seek out capable preachers. Not all preachers are capable, but good listeners find the capable preachers in their day. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8, all the people gathered as one man in the square of the water before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord God had commanded Israel. Now, who did they ask to bring the book? Ezra the scribe. Now, what's our book called? It's called the book of Nehemiah. This is the book of Nehemiah. We have not heard from Ezra for eight chapters. But now Ezra is specifically summoned by the people of God because, friends, Nehemiah was a governor. Nehemiah was an administrator. Nehemiah was a man with a plan to build the walls. But now they needed a preacher. And so they called for Ezra the scribe, Ezra the priest, to preach to the tribes because he was the one gifted for this task. Friends, good listeners eagerly seek out capable preachers. I spend most of my week in my study, in the Word of God. It's a wonderful part of my job. (laughs) But even though I spend almost all week immersed in the Scriptures, I still take the time to listen to good preaching because I need capable preachers to speak into my life just like you do. There's a lot of junk preaching out in 2018, but there's some excellent exposition as well. If you need some help finding capable preachers, I'd be happy to chat with you and give you a list of people you might try their podcasts who pretty consistently put you under the Word of God. Different contexts, gifting giftings, different ages, maybe even different denominations, but but they consistently put their people under the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to seek out capable preachers so you keep growing. So this raises a question. Is good listening just for the eager? Is it just for the older, the wiser? No, it isn't. That brings us to point C. Good listeners include all who are capable of understanding. Good listeners include all who are capable of understanding preaching. Look at verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Now, statistics tell us that most churches skew heavily towards women and children. Now, not Calvary, but most churches. The generic church in America is full of women and children. But here in our story, we see that the men were there. Specifically, it says the men were there. And yet, even though this is a patriarchal society, they didn't leave their wives at home. The women were not excluded. The Word of God said they were also there eager to listen to biblical exposition. But there was a third group, and it's a group that we can easily forget. The Word of God goes out of the way to say that Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, before both women and men, and all who could understand what they heard. Scholars are pretty clear that what the Hebrew is trying to say here is is that they included the children. 
who were old enough to get something out of a sermon. And so here at Calvary, we invite those who are out of the nursery uh, to experience worship with us, to, to hear us singing and praying to God. And then they get up before the sermon and they go downstairs and they hear age-appropriate teaching. Because if you're in second grade, this can be a long thing to sit through and you might not get it. But once you get to fifth grade, we don't have a program for you. Not because we can't, but because we won't. Because we want to encourage those fifth graders who are now old enough to begin to understand well, we want them to start to learn how to be in Scripture. And so Uncle Wayne uh, puts together a, a sermon uh, note-taking. And he's been teaching the, the junior hires in their small group how to take notes. And so if you see one of our 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th graders, you ought to ask them, what did you get out of the sermon today? And they'll probably show you something, and they may have more than you wrote down. Because we're teaching them. Because all who are able to understand ought to be under the Word of God. Amen? Our churches have become siloed by age and preference instead of united under Jesus. D, good listeners are more concerned with learning than with leaving. Good listeners are more concerned with learning than with leaving. Look at verse 3 and see if you can understand how long this service was. And they read from the Scriptures facing the square before the water gate from early morning that's at dawn, until midday. That's about six hours. It's a six-hour sermon. Were they all mentally checked out? Were, were they checking on their Instagrams or whatever that was, Insta-rocks back then? I don't know. The Bible says that's not the case. The Bible says he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, six hours, in the presence of all the men and the women and those who were old enough to understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law for six hours. I don't know if you've read the first five books of the Bible, but some of that is a little bit less than electrifying. Yeah, they heard. The Bible always tells the truth, and it says the truth was that day they were so eager that they listened to that part of Scripture for six hours from 13 preachers. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Good listeners are more concerned with listening than leaving. They are more concerned with the content than they are the clock. What's true for you, Christian? What's true for you? We see this in the New Testament too. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul preached. He preached in the evening when everyone got off work. They all had jobs to do. And he preached in the evening all the way till midnight, the Bible says. So he'd been preaching for about six hours. And a brother who did manual labor was so exhausted from the day's work and the night's teaching that as he sat on the windowsill and they had their little oil lamp to provide illumination and the stagnation and the heat of that room, guess what happened? His eyelids got heavy. And he fell out the window and he broke his neck and he died. Now, it's a handy thing the Apostle Paul was there. And so he went downstairs and he healed the man and he came back to life. And here's the thing that blows my mind. It's been a six-hour sermon that ended in death. And the Bible says he kept on preaching until dawn. That means the Apostle Paul preached for about 12 hours. Because the Apostle Paul wasn't able to be everywhere. And there was going to come a day when the Apostle Paul was no longer there. And so the people understood, I better make use of this opportunity because these opportunities are not always available forever. 
It was a whopper of a service with a 12-hour sermon. But good listeners are more interested in learning than leaving. E, good listeners have a reverence for the Word of God. Good listeners have a reverence for the Word of God. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people took a nap, gave a groan, looked nervously, thinking about dinner. Is that what it says? It says, He opened it, and all the people, they stood. They stood. When the Scriptures were read, the people stood. For six hours, the people stood. Their goal was reverence. It clearly was not convenience. Now, we don't have to stand every time the Word of God is read, but we need to have reverence for the Word of God. But we have been blessed with so much. The average American home has four Bibles that lay unread. And yet there are people in parts of the world that don't have a single Bible, so they memorize what the preacher preached on. Because that's all they have. Don't let familiarity breed contempt. Good listeners are eager with Scripture. Do we engage with the text when the Bible is read, or do we sort of put our mind in neutral and start to wander? Point F, good listeners actively participate. This helps you keep engaged in a sermon. Uh, Good listeners actively participate, not just passively spectate, when the Word of God is proclaimed. Verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. They responded, Amen! Amen! And lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. These people were tracking for six hours of preaching. They responded verbally with amens. They responded physically by raising holy hands in praise. Uh, When their hearts were pricked by the Spirit, they bowed their heads and worshipped with their faces to the ground. The point is, good listeners actively participate. Now, some of that's cultural. We're not all, you know, I know some of you are Norwegians. You were born with the gift of spontaneity and exuberance. It might look a little different for you. That's okay. But you need to be tracking. Whatever tracking is, you need to continue tracking when the Word of God is being given. Good leaders actively participate, not just passively spectate. Now we come to our last key today. We've seen several biblical keys to good preaching, several biblical keys to good listening. We come to our final key today, and it is this, the biblical key to good retention. For most of you, you've been in churches for many years. You've heard many sermons. You've probably heard 40, 50 sermons a year for some of you, 40, 50 years. What do you remember from those sermons? So good retainers seek to digest in small groups what we ingested in the large group. Say that again. Good listeners seek to digest in small groups what we've ingested in the large group. Programs that help people prepare for the SAT, they know that revision leads to retention. That's what they know. That is, the more times you go over something, the greater the chance that you retain something. And God is the master teacher. Amen? When He gave the Israelites His law, uh, he, He gave them, at the end of the four books that are the law, He gave them a fifth book called Deuteronomy. 
Deuter meaning second, nomos meaning law. It is a second giving of the law. There's almost no new information in Deuteronomy. There's a review of the most important existing information. Because God knew that repetition fosters retention. Revision fosters retention. What was true in the Old Testament is true in the New. When God gave us the Bible, when He told us about Jesus, when He gave us the Gospels, how many did He give us? One? Four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do they tell four different stories? No, no, no. They tell one story from four vantage points so that we hear it over and over and over and over again so that none of us, by hearing it four times in four different ways from four different authors to four different perspectives, we would never, 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 never miss the importance of the atoning death of Jesus and the power of His resurrection. And every time, every Gospel spends most of the time in the last week of Jesus' life putting all the focus on the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. God knows that digestion is critical to our ingestion. That what we ingest in a large group is best digested in a small group. I want you to look at verse 7. You're going to see something. You're going to see also, and there's a list of hard-to-pronounce Hebrew names, they're Levites. You can review them at home. What were they doing, these Levites? These Levites were spread out among the crowd. You had the 13 preachers preaching the large group, but then you had these particular Levites spread out among the crowd. The Bible says they helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. So you've got to remember, there's like 50,000 or more people they're hearing this sermon, they're hearing the preaching, and you've got to have some of them, I don't, what's he talking about? What's that about? I don't understand. And so there was someone near them in a small group to help them digest what they are hearing, what they are ingesting in the large group. During the course of these six hours, there were 13 Levites who helped the people understand the preaching in a small group. You know, if you go to a small group, you can ask questions about Scripture. That's one thing you can't get the opportunity to do here when I preach to you. You can go back over and you can review. You can look at the cross-references and, and see other things that you come across. You can really work on personal applications. I try to give you applications, but, but you all live in a particular world. You have particular challenges. And in your small group, you can get down to the nitty-gritty of how this applies to your little group that's assembled. Now here at Calvary, we encourage every single saint to join one of our small group ministries. Most of those ministries use something called SWAG, which is the Sermon Weekly Application Guide. Uh, what we do there is we, we take the text that was preached on last Sunday and we ask a series of questions and we try to, to digest what we've ingested. Now, there's other small groups. Some of our small groups, they go through other texts and they go through other topics. But all of our small groups give, some, give you an opportunity you get nowhere else if you only come to church on a Sunday morning. It gives you the invaluable opportunity of learning in community. Learning in community means you can dig deeper than a single sermon can ever hope to offer. As we move through this holiday season, we're coming to Thanksgiving, and soon we'll blink, it'll be Christmas, and then it'll be New Year's, and we'll be into a new year. I would like for you to begin to pray. And begin to clear out your calendar in January. It's totally full from now until Christmas. I know that. Would you start to ask the Lord to give you a new holy habit in 2019? Would you start to consistently and committedly begin gathering, if you are not already, in a small group here at Calvary? Um, 
This slender Sunday service is a great start in your discipleship, but it's only one piece in God's great plan to disciple you into the man or woman of faith He wants you to be in a world of doubt that wants you not to grow in Christ. Now, I believe we have a small group that meets every single day but Saturday right now. Uh, I believe we have small groups that meet as far away as Morristown and Parsippany, but we have many that meet right here at Calvary and in the vicinity. We have small groups for men and women and for couples. We have small groups for teens and college students and those just beginning their career. We, we have something probably for you. Go to the website. Look over what we have. Talk to Uncle Wayne. He's away this week, but he'll be back. Jolly Uncle Wayne who does the announcements. You can't miss him. He has a beard and a smile. One day he might not have a beard, but he'll still have that smile. You can't miss Uncle Wayne. He will help you find a small group that is for you. Good retainers seek to digest in small groups what we ingested in our large group. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to Nehemiah 8 and we come to the Bible's clearest Old Testament teaching on preaching and it has so much to say. As we slowly and methodically move through the whole counsel of God, we're amazed again and again at how it speaks so pertinently to where we are in any given moment. And so we ask, Lord, that these truths would wash over us and we invite You to build in us these biblical aspects. Lord, may we be a church that preaches straight from the Bible without apology, but with grace and hope and love. Lord, may You bless this church with preachers who preach clearly so we can understand the sense of the passage in its historical, cultural, and linguistic context that we might rightly apply it in our daily lives that we might be better ambassadors for You on Tuesday and Wednesday because of the Word of God accurately taught on Sunday. Lord, we ask that we would not be conformed to this world that is pressing us into its mold, but we would be transformed by the Word as we wash ourselves in Scripture. Lord, may what flows from this pulpit always and forever be a blessing to You and never something that grieves You. May You raise up an army of faithful preachers from this church that You send across our vicinity and to the very ends of the earth with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would You make us good listeners? Would You make us eager to receive Your truth like the Bereans and yet always careful to compare it with the truth of Scripture? May we not be so open-minded that our brains fall out, but may we be eager to hear and diligent to compare. May we be Biblicists. May we be Bereans. May we be more noble. We pray, Lord Jesus, that You would put a holy hunger in us to seek out capable preachers. We carry around smartphones that can do many things, even many destructive things. So Lord, may You have us be like the deer who pants for the water. May our souls seek refreshment from You. And may we listen to godly biblical preaching and fill our minds with things that will build us up. Give us a holy reverence for Your Word, O Lord. Help us to actively participate and not passively spectate. Let us worship in spirit and in truth, not in a way that is self-aggrandizing or disruptive, but in ways that are spirit-led and decently and in order. Lord, put in our hearts a desire to one another well in 2019. We cannot one another if we are seldom together. Would you please knit us into a tight-knit family here at Calvary in the very best sense of that term 
Lord, would You make us so glad that we're a part of the family of God. Would You bind us together, Lord? Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together with Your matchless love. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.